habit of doing, got out of the habit of doing, didn't want it to be just a tradition where we don't think about what we say. But we used to say, God is good. And the response was, all the time. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good reminder because God is good. And when we talk about God's goodness, it's about his generosity. We see God's generosity when he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son so that none would perish but all would have everlasting life that would believe on him. Now, think about that. Think about the generosity of God. He gave his son for people that didn't know him, didn't care about him, and were doing things against him. They were actual enemies. Would any of you give any of your relatives for your enemies? <laughs> so, I, I thought about that for a second. I thought, hold it, we could get in trouble here. <laughs> but, but if you had great relationship, you loved your, your, your relatives, every one of them, you wouldn't want to give them away to your enemies, for your enemies. And yet God so generously gave his son. And the Bible says if he didn't withhold his son, what good thing will he withhold to those who walk up, uprightly? And it's not that he withholds anything, but we hinder ourselves from receiving the things that God has for us. The Bible says God has given us. Now, is that past, present, or future? Past. God has. It's a done deal. God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, then how come we aren't having abundant life? Because there are choices that we make. We, we have a freedom now in Christ, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. But that freedom, when we use it for something other than what God intended, it hinders and diminishes what God has planned for us. It actually robs us. And uh, we've been learning about how good God is, how generous God is, how much God wants even more in our lives than, than we could ever imagine in our own. Jesus taught his disciples after coming out of the upper room, uh, the Last Supper, heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to be arrested and then beaten and tortured and, and finally go to the cross. This was the last quiet time he had with his disciples and he began to walk and teach. And the reason why he taught this was it was something that was very familiar to them. They're walking across the, the Temple Mount, and the temple was decorated with grapevines. And the reason why was on the, on the doors to the temple, grapevines, golden grapevines had been carved. And the reason why was because God had always told Israel, you're a vine, you're like a vine. And unfortunately, in, in what God had told them, uh, it says in Psalm 80 verse... 8 and 9, it says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root. And it's talking about Israel, how God brought Israel out of Egypt like a vine and planted it, drove the nations out before it. There's another portion of Scripture where it talks about how he planted a vine in the perfect ground, gave it the perfect sun and the rain, and yet the vine went wild. And what grapes it did grow, it grew wild grapes that were useless. In Jeremiah, God tells us, he said, I planted a vine, a choice vine, holy, pure, holy and pure of seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And so in, in what we've been studying, we read in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And what he was saying resonated with his disciples. They're walking through a vineyard. He's teaching them about a vine. And he said, I'm the true vine. He's saying, you know, Israel didn't attain to what God, my father, wanted, but I will. I'm going to be the true vine. And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And we've been studying these two stages. There are three stages of fruit bearing. There's no fruit to fruit, then fruit to more fruit. And then we're, today we're going to finally get into this third stage of fruit bearing, which is more fruit to much fruit, the maximum production. But, but right here in this, we see his generosity. 
God's not saying he's planting us. He's saying, I've already planted my son. My son has become the vine. You're going to grow out of him. You don't have to establish these roots, break through the ground. You just have to stay connected to him. And on top of that, you don't have to take care of all the things that are necessary to make sure your life is right. There is someone who's going to work with you, the vine dresser, who is who? God the Father. So we've got God the Son, God the Father, that, that is going to work with us because this is about a partnership. Everything in the Christian life is about a partnership. It's not us trying to prove to God that we're worthy to get what he freely gives. That's the way of the world. The way of the world says, you've got to prove your worth. Are you worth it for me to give you my time? Are you worth it for me to, to share my dreams with? No, no, no. God says, you are priceless because I gave something priceless in exchange for you. I gave my son. And so he's showing us that, that there is a partnership. God gives the big part. We do the little part. Aren't you glad? Because we can't do the big part, and he won't do the little part. So we each have our part, and that's why this is a partnership, and it's so important. And so the first stage that we've looked at was the stage where it says, if we have no fruit, to go from no fruit to fruit, that first stage is he lifts us. This says takes away, but it actually means, in a better translation, lifts up. And what he does is he lifts us up. He does it through chastening. We found out chastening in Hebrews chapter 12. That word is not one we like, but it's one we need. When we find out the definition, we realize we all need it because we become a part of a new kingdom. And in that new kingdom, we need to be educated. We need to be instructed. We need to be mentored, tutored, nurtured, trained, corrected, and disciplined. And that's what chastening means. And when it says disciplined, that discipline means to bring to a place of order and obedience. How many of you know that we are not always obedient to God? And our lives aren't completely in order. I'm telling you right now, I need more order in my life. Because the more order you give, the more productive you become. And God wants you to be absolutely maximizing the production in your life. And the only way we can do it is through Him. And that's why this discipline is necessary. And, and this first aspect, when he lifts us up, when he disciplines us, it's about removing active sin in our life. When we get saved, uh, we're forgiven. We're, we're a new creation in Christ. But how many of you know the old type of, of habits and, and uh, things that we do that are not life-giving continue on if we let them? Right? Yeah, absolutely. We, we continue to do what we did before, even though we're free to choose something else because it's become familiar or it's become desirable. You know, sin has pleasure for a season. And so this act of sin that's still in our lives, God wants it removed. We have to repent, turn around, and go another way. We release that sin to be able to follow Jesus. Because how many of you know you can't follow sin and Jesus at the same time? Hello? And so in that, that first stage, it's about God putting his finger through his word and by his spirit on the sin in our lives. And the reason why is not God is not a killjoy. As much as you and I think sin is great, I, you know, sin, the Bible tells us, has pleasure for a season. But what sin ends up in is what? Death. It brings death. And so God loves you and me and everyone so much. He doesn't want death working in us. That's why he sent his son so that life would work in us. Abundant, overflowing life, unending life. And so that's why the first thing that God begins to do in our lives, he begins to help us recognize because this is God initiating this. God initiates the, the discipline. He says, that's, that's got to go because it's killing you. It's killing your relationships. It's killing your production, your productiveness. It's killing your joy. It's killing your peace. And so he puts his finger on it, but that's where he initiates, but we have to choose to participate. But if we don't participate with God, what God's pointing his finger to, what he's revealing to us that needs to be removed in sin, the act of sin in our life, then we ignore God. 
And when we ignore God, we basically put God on the sideline and say, don't touch that. And then sin is able to produce what it produces. And it breaks God's heart. And it destroys our life. And once we start in there and understand these these three stages are always ongoing in our life. We're never going to get to the place where we're not struggling with sin. Sin always has a pull on us, just like gravity. You don't feel gravity all the time. You see it active sometimes, but most of the time we are unaware of gravity's presence even though we see it. And we are unaware of the pull of sin in our lives even though we see it. It is pulling on you, but there's also God. God, the Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. That goodness of God, that love of God is pulling us too. And we choose what we're going to allow ourselves to be pulled by. Are we going to be pulled by God and his goodness and his love? Are we going to be pulled by sin? If we're pulled by God and his goodness and love, then we're going to get what God has for us, which is abundant life. If we're pulled by sin, we're going to get what sin has for us, which is death. And so he deals with that sin first. And then the second stage, we see it says, every branch that that bears fruit, he prunes so it can bear more fruit. That second stage is, is pruning. It's where God deals with the self in our life because when we continue to grow in God, when we come into the kingdom, we've been running and gunning, doing our own thing, doing what we think is best, doing what everybody tells us is right, and it's really self-motivated. And now we're in a kingdom. This kingdom, who is the king of? God, Right. And now self has to take a back seat to the Savior. He's supposed to be the one guiding and governing us, not self anymore, because we, we betray ourselves. We choose a lot of things that are good, some things that are bad, some things that are kind of neutral, but what it does is it, in essence, divides our life. Our, our attention, our affection, our allegiance, our resources, our time, our passion, our love, and we're supposed to love God with how much of our heart? All. All. And, and God was setting us up this morning with the songs, with things that, that Jordan shared this morning with us. But that's where God wants it all, not because he's selfish, he's selfless. He wants the best for you, and he's the only one that can give you and me the best. And until we give him ourselves, we can't have what he has. And so the second aspect is, is pruning. It's, it's a removing of self-reliance, self-dependence, self-motivation, and, and self-determination, all those self-things. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be a follower of mine, the first thing you have to do is deny yourself. And that, that's tough because we don't want to deny ourselves. We want what we want. You know, there's a song, and I don't know who sang it, and I don't know the whole song, and I promise you I won't sing it. Aren't you glad? But, but the song goes, I want it all. I want it all. And I am singing it. And I want it now. Isn't that, isn't that kind of our anthem? It's the anthem of humanity. I want it all. I want it all. I want it now. But what we want is not always the best. Even when we want good, good doesn't always turn out to be the best. What's the enemy of best? Yeah, I gave you the answer, good. Good. If you will settle for good, you'll never have God's best. And God always wants you having the best. And the best you have right now, God has even better. Because God wants your life going from glory to glory to glory. The more your life is blessed, the more you can bless other people's lives. It doesn't end with us, but we have to be a conduit to receive the best from God so we can give the best from God to other people so that they can begin to see the goodness of God and be drawn to him. And so in the second aspect, again, God initiates it. He begins to put his finger, he begins to highlight and make us aware, you know, this is a good thing. You've been doing it all your life. It's not evil. It's not sin. But what it is is a distraction and a division of you fulfilling all God has for you. Because what happens to a city or a kingdom or a house that's divided, what does the Bible tell us? 
yeah, it'll, it'll fall. It won't stand. But you know what? It works down to the next level too. A, a life divided won't stand. And that's why we saw in Jesus' life, his life was not divided. He came for a purpose. His purpose was to do not his own will, but the will of the Father. Not to please himself, but to, to do everything that pleased the Father. And if that's Jesus' life, isn't he our example? The Bible tells us in Colossians, I believe it's chapter 3, we're to be imitators of God. Well, the only God that we've ever seen is Jesus. And he said, I am the visible representation of the invisible God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we've seen Jesus, and we have, we've seen him through the pages of Scripture and how he lived, we're supposed to imitate that. Well, that, that was Jesus, you know. He was God. I'm not God. I can't do it. Well, then God lied. His word says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If he told you to be an imitator of God, then it is possible. But guess what? It's not. It's not easy. It's not quick. It's not always pleasant or fun. But I will tell you this, it's always worth it. Always worth it. To do what God has for us to do is the best thing we can do. No matter what it feels like or looks like. Because God's way is always best. He is perfect. And so these two stages, these first two, the discipline and the pruning, are God-initiated. But again, we have a choice. Are we going to participate? If we don't participate, we don't grow. We don't grow fruit. We don't go from glory to glory. We don't experience the ever-increasing blessing of God because we limit God. The Bible tells us that Israel limited the Holy One. They wouldn't, they wouldn't obey Him. They wouldn't follow Him. They wouldn't do what He said. And it still works that way today. And that's why we need, we need the discipline. We need the pruning. And then it goes on to verse 4 and 5. It tells us this. This is the third stage, and the third stage is not God-initiated. God won't initiate this because we have to initiate it, and then God will participate. It's still a partnership. But this one, the, the, the initiation, the impetus to do it goes to us. We're the ones that make this choice. Is this going to happen in our life or is it not? And, and so this is what it says. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in, in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do? Oh, that was very good. But it's hard. It's hard. People get offended over that. People get offended when, when they hear, with, with man, nothing is possible. What do you mean, with man, nothing is possible? I can do all sorts of things. I've been doing all sorts of things all my life. Yeah, but the Bible in, indicates to us, we can, we can be really active. We can do all sorts of amazing things that the world is in awe by. If you give your body to be burned, if you give all your wealth to help all the poor, if you have all knowledge, this is out of 1 Corinthians 13, all these different things, but it says it amounts to nothing. How can it amount to nothing? If it's not done in love and God is love, it amounts to nothing. That means we do a lot of spectacular, stupendous, amazing, awe-inspiring things. But if it's not because of our love for God and God filling us with His love so that we can love people, then it's all self-motivated. And the Bible says when we sow to the Spirit, we leap, reap everlasting life. But when we sow to the flesh to self, we reap destruction. Well, how could that be destructive? I'll tell you, on the day that you and I as a Christian stand before the Lord, all our works are going to be tried with fire. That means the fire of God 
finding out what was pure works because of him, because of our love for him, that'll be gold, silver, and precious stones. It'll last through the fire. But all the stuff that we did because we wanted to look good, we wanted people to think good about us, we wanted some sort of advantage, or we were afraid of what people would think if we didn't do it, oh, that's going to be burned up. And there are going to be some people, the Bible says, that are going to stand before the Lord on that day, and they're going to experience great loss. It's just like the group of people that said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great works? Didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do all these things? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That word iniquity is lawlessness. It's unauthorized works, works that God didn't tell you to do. We're here for one purpose. It's not to get the most toys. We're here for the purpose of revealing the unseen God. We're here for the purpose of lifting up Jesus that all people would be drawn into him. We're here for the purpose of being ambassadors for the kingdom of God, the unseen kingdom that people need to be a part of before they end this part of life. We're here for a purpose, to be witnesses for Jesus everywhere we go. But the only way that happens is it's not about words. Please understand, witnessing... Somebody said, and I don't remember, one of the greats said, you know, we all need to witness and if necessary, use words. What's he mean? He means exactly what we've been talking about here. It's about fruit. It's about the character of God in our lives. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of righteousness. It's the, the fruit of good works. It's the fruit of salvation. It's all those things in our lives. And we can, we can talk a talk, but we've got to walk the walk before we talk it because the world out there tells us, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And what are they saying? You talk a good talk, but you don't walk the walk. And so they want to see it in us before they hear it from us. And this fruit is what causes them to begin to see and experience God and his kingdom. And that's why we need to have these different stages at work in our lives. And understanding all three of these stages are continuous in our lives. There's always going to be God disciplining us, realigning us. There's always going to be God who is pruning us. And God is going to want us to abide. That word abide, that's a a very, very important word. And, And the word abide means this. To stay in a given place, state, or relationship. To stand firm or steadfast. To continue to persevere, to endure, to remain and not depart. To dwell or make a home. And to be present continuously and consistently. Now we'll get back to that. But, but going on in this, you know, he, he says abide. Abide in who? In him. In Him. Because we can abide. We can make our home. We can endure and be consistent and be present in a lot of things. And we've proven that. We've proven that. But what's He say? If, if, If we don't abide, then we can do nothing. And who is our example in the Bible? Jesus. And in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said these words. He answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, and whatever he do, for whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. So Jesus himself said, I can do nothing of any lasting value, of any eternal importance of myself. And if Jesus said that, and he made the reference point, I'm not doing these things that I want. I'm doing everything that I see the Father do, and I do what he does in like manner. And we're to do the same things. If Jesus can't do it, and he said, I can't do it, then we really ought to grab a hold of the truth that we can't do this without God. And until we come to that accepting of that truth, we're always going to be trying harder. What do we do when we fall down and we get tripped up by sin? We go back to God and we repent. We say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. 
You know, I didn't mean to do that. And, and I'll what? Exactly. I'll try harder. Listen, it was us trying to do what we could do that got us there. It's not about trying harder, working harder, working more. It's not about us. With us, what's possible? Nothing. With God, what's possible? All things. And that's why it's not about trying. I can't try hard enough, work long enough to make God's work happen. But I can partner with him and trust. I can trust him. When you trust somebody, how do you interact with them? You rely on them. You look to them for help and support and strength and encouragement, right? If you trust someone, do you take their guidance? Yeah. And especially if that person is a lot smarter than you in whatever it is you need the guidance in. Well, I've got to tell you, there's somebody a lot smarter than you and me and all of us put together in every area, and he's willing to give us guidance. But are we going to trust him? See, that's what abiding is part of. It's about being present, being reliant, being, being given to God. It's making that connection sure and secure and never-ending. But there are all sorts of things in our life that pull us away from God. You know, sitting right here this morning, whether you're at home or you're here, all of a sudden, a thought comes in your mind, and you're thinking about this week and what's ahead and how I got to take care of that, and you're being robbed of what God has for you right now. Don't let anything rob you of the greatest gift, the greatest relationship, the greatest resource that anyone has or ever will be given, and that's a relationship with God. That's what abiding is about. It's about connecting. And Jesus said, I'm so connected, I don't do anything on my own. That's literally what he's saying. I'm abiding so securely, so consistently, so dependently, so reliantly on the Father. I am just going to do what he shows me to do, and I'm going to do it the way he does it. He, he was not independent. He was interdependent. Not codependent, interdependent. Uh, God, he relied on the Father, just as you and I have the privilege and opportunity to rely not on ourselves, which is our fallback, but we've got to choose not to fall back. We've got to fall ahead, lean on God to move ahead in what he has for us. And, and so Jesus said, I don't do anything of myself. Do you realize that in this world, it is saturated with sin? destruction, all sorts of things. And, and you're over your head. I'm over my head. We're all over our head in it. But what happens when you get to the place, and let's put it in another situation, you're swimming, and you get to the place where you've been swimming long enough, and you get so tired you can't swim anymore. What's next? Yeah, you drown. You sink and drown. There are people that are sinking today. You may be one of them. You've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying so hard for so long, and you're so worn out. You can't do anymore. Now, in the water, what happens when that happens if you're at a, a pool or a shore where there's somebody sitting in a stand. Somebody what? Yeah, that's right, Kalani. Somebody come save you. Who, who comes to save you? Yes, the lifeguard. Good job. The lifeguard comes. Now, I was, I was sharing this in the first service. There were three lifeguards in the first service. I don't know if there are lifeguards here, but if you are, I'm trying to tell you what I know. I was never a lifeguard, so I've talked to lifeguards, all right? So that's my reference point. But, but the lifeguard comes, 
And, and when a lifeguard approaches somebody drowning, do you know what they say first? They say, stay calm. What? Now look, you're approaching somebody that is frantic, flailing away. They are gonna, they think they're gonna die. Stay calm. But you know what? That's what God tells us. Stay calm. Why does a lifeguard tell you to stay calm? Because they have a confidence that they can save you. If you're going down, they have a confidence they can save you. They know what to do to make sure your life does not end. Is that true? Right. I want you to know you have a lifeguard. His name is Jesus. He jumped out of the tower of heaven and dove into the cesspool of the earth. And he swam right up to you. And he's saying, be calm. Now, at that point, what, if this is going to work, what's going to have to happen? What is the person that's feeling like they're drowning going to have to do? Listen. Rely on. Trust. Depend on this person that's come out to save them. Do they interview them? I don't know you. Where are you from? What's your background? How many lifeguarding courses have you had? How many people have you saved? Oh, not enough. Please send another person out. Oh, no. No. They know they're desperate. They're not waiting for another person. They're not going to ask all the specifics. They are either going to fight this lifeguard. And do you know what a lifeguard does if somebody that they're going to save fights them? They go underwater. Why do they go underwater? Because they're going where you don't want to go. You'll let go. Eventually you'll let go. Until you're willing to just surrender. And be connected with the lifeguard, letting the lifeguard have control. I'm telling you, your lifeguard needs to have control. And when we abide, when we surrender, when we rely, when we trust, when we depend on God, he's in control. Because we can't make it back to shore. We can't make it through this life without him. And the moment we think we can, we start doing our own thing. You know, look at me. Look at me. I'm swimming. Look at me. I'm swimming. Yeah, but the, you're going to get to the place where you can't touch and and. You've got to have somebody help you. That's why God came into the world. And not only did he come into the world, he came into your life. He came to reside and live in you. That you would never have to try to do anything on your own again. Oh, try harder. All of a sudden, we feel the weight of responsibility come on us. And the enemy gets right in there and he says, you know what? You didn't do so well last time. Oh, and remember the time before that? And the time before that? You haven't done well at all. Why do you think this is going to work out well? And all of a sudden we start to get anxious and nervous. But if we rely on God, he can come and say, well, he didn't do, well, he did, but. And he didn't do, well, yeah, he did that too. He's never failed. Your lifeguards never failed. Oh. Oh. If you knew that who was right there to take care of you was the best swimmer in the world, how would you react? You would just rely, give in, rest in, which is exactly what we're supposed to do with God. Exactly what we're supposed to do with God. And that's what abiding is. It's that connection. It's being present. It's being connected. It's dwelling. It's making a home in. When, when we make a home in something, it, when the way God intended home to be, and it's not always that way, and that's why, be, because we're in a fallen world, but home was supposed to be a place where we were absolutely at peace. All our needs were taken care of. We were always encouraged, always welcome, always accepted, always celebrated. 
And that's what it's like to be connected with God because he loves you. Now, I didn't say everything you do is celebrated, everything you do is accepted, but you are. And the reason why is because God knows some of the things that we do are limiting him. Those first two stages are making room for us to allow God, when we connect with him, to flow and flood our lives so fully that we experience this supernatural, abundant life. And God has that for every one of us, but we choose how much of God is going to flow into us because we've connected and relied on him. We've abided in him. Do you know how close God is to you today? I know how close God is to every one of you today. As close as you've let him be. If we've taken parts of our lives and we said, no, 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 then God isn't, God isn't going to violate your choice to limit him. And we will not experience the abundant life in those areas. And it's not the devil. And it's not somebody else. It's us that's chosen that. And that's where it's important that we abide, we stay connected. John the Baptist, Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, who was his cousin. And, and he said, John the Baptist is the greatest of all that preceded him, all the prophets that preceded him. John the Baptist was the greatest. And John the Baptist said, in John chapter 3, verse 30, said these words. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Talking about Jesus. As great as he was, he said, I have to decrease. I must decrease. He must increase. Not, he must get a little more. I must give up a little more. No, I have to decrease to the place where the scripture says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And this life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. If you and I are going to live this abundant life, if we're going to experience what God has for us, we've got to do it God's way. We can't have what God promised doing it our way or anybody else's way for that matter. We can't do it the world's way and expect God's promise to come to pass in our life. We can't do it our way and expect God's promise to come to pass in our life. If we do it God's way, then God's promise will be fulfilled in our life. But that's the pull of the world and of sin and of self. Self thinks we know what's better. We, 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 we know what's, this is going to be really good. And God's putting his finger on that and saying, that's got to go. I know it looks really good, but it's not really good. It's dividing your life. Allow that which goes out. The sin that is taken out of your life, the act of sin, what you're using, resources, time, attention, affection, let that now connect with God. The good stuff that's not necessarily the God stuff. When God puts his finger on it, when he reveals this has to go, take, when we let it go, take that and allow it to be a further connection to God. To the point where we're connected like Jesus is. I always do those things that please him. I, I don't do my own will. I do his will. Because that's the way of abundant life. That's the way of being fruitful. That's the way God has intended for our lives to truly grow and be blessed. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, in the message translation, the apostle Paul writes, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. What's that mean? That means when we think we can do it on our own, who are we always looking to and looking at? Us. If I'm looking to me and looking at me, guess who I'm not seeing? God. And guess who I desperately need to see? God. Because I've failed. I've failed in the past. I have flaws. And I'm frail. But so are you. And so I can't afford to look at me and expect great things, but I can afford to look at God and know great things are going to happen if I let God have his way. It goes on to say 
They, they, they end up obsessing with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Because we're always looking. We're always looking. We're never doing. Because we're afraid to do because we know what we've done. And we don't want it to end up the same way. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them living and breathing who? Oh, my gosh. God. God's having his way. God's way is perfect. God will empower and enable you to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror in all things. But it hasn't happened yet. Then he's not done. But God, I prayed it happened last week. He's not done and you're not the timekeeper. Don't put a clock on God. <laughs> that was like... <laughs> Some of you are like, what do you mean? He's got 10 more minutes. <laughs> you can't put a clock on God. You don't know what the perfect time is. God's Word says there is a time and a season for everything under the sun. And it does say S-U-N, but it is S-O-N. He makes everything beautiful. Guess when? In His time. He can be trusted. We need to be people that trust Him. Absolutely need to be tr people that trust Him. Because if we trust in anything other than God, we're going to pay dearly for it because we're going to miss God's best. And the enemy's going to be able to steal. It goes on to say, <clears throat> obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Free of what? Free of stress, free of fear, free of failure. This freedom that God has is leading you and me into the abundant life that we can't get any other way. No other way is it possible. And then verse 9 and 11, it says this. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Now, think about this. God Almighty, the perfect one, the creator of everything seen and unseen, the one who's never failed, never will fail, never done anything wrong, never had a mistake, never thought anything that wasn't true, knows it all, can do it all, has it all, lives in you. And what a shame that we have God in residence in us. And we, me, I get to a place where I'm, I'm, I'm taken by surprise. I know that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me quite often. Taken by surprise, something I didn't expect, didn't intend, didn't desire, and it happens. And my first natural response is to freak out. In one way or another. Just have a little fleshy fit. And once I get over that, hopefully I'll recognize, you know, that didn't accomplish much. And whatever it accomplished wasn't good. And I'm more in the hole now than I was before. And in that moment of pause, I recognize, oh, I'm not alone. Well, what do I need? Well, I need strength. I need wisdom. I need, need peace. I need whatever you need. Guess who's there to give it? God. But he's right there and he's not going to force it. And so I've got to pause. I've got to say, oh, before this gets down the road, off the rails, too far, too long, let's stop. Hold it, God. Sorry. My life is yours. I gave you my life, not just because I don't want to go to hell, but because I want to live heaven on earth. And the only way to get heaven on earth is through you, through your spirit, through your word. So time out. We'll take a little praise break. God, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. We, we thank God for his goodness today, right? 
Do you remember back that far? Okay. Because he's been so, so good all the time. And we don't even know the fullness of how good he's been to us. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to weep because we're going to see how good God's been to us. Tears of joy and appreciation. But he's going to wipe away every tear. And all of a sudden I can turn to God and say, whoa, Holy Spirit, help me, help me. Give me wisdom. I'm humbling myself right now, realizing that I don't have what I need to be able to make it through this. So, Father, in my weakness, I want your strength to be made full. The grace of God would abound. The same grace that saved you is there to help you through every, every situation you're encountering. But many times we don't allow that to happen, and we just go on our merry way trying to do what we can do and frustrate the grace of God. And he's right there. Just turn to me. Hey! All right, I'm here. And what do we do? We do what we do. You know what? We all know enough to change. But do you know the single greatest motivation of change in everyone's life? Pain. God will wait. We'll inflict so much pain in our lives, we get to the place where we say, I can't stand it. God! Isn't he all, 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 oftentimes our last resort? Usually at the end of everything falling apart, he should be our first resort. We turn to him first. We trust him first. Not have to go through all the pain and the suffering and the things that we do. Goes on to say, verse 11, it stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing that he did in Jesus. Are you serious? He'll do the same thing he did in Jesus. Do you know that Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do in greater? Well, if you, you're going to do the works Jesus did in greater, you're going to have to do them the way he did it. How did he do it? I always do those things that please my father. Everything I see my father do, I do in like kind. You're not going to do it because you have so much Bible knowledge. It's not even so much prayer. Is reading the Bible good? Yeah, 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 it is. It's very good. It's necessary. Is praying good? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's necessary. It helps us. But what's best is obeying God. And when you obey God, you're going to, to line up with Scripture. You're going to be connected in your interaction and, and discourse between you and him in prayer, because prayer is not just talking to God. Do you know the majority of prayer is listening? Throughout the Psalms, there's a word, Selah. Does anybody here know what Selah means? Pause. Or be still. Consider. Be open to God. He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bring you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, he and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With the spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Wow. And, and what do we need to do? We need to abide. We need to co co connect. We need to be present with God. We know that in our society right now, we're around people, but they're not present. And we're around people and we're not present. Why? What's the big distraction in our life? Or I can say it this way, what's the big focus in our life? That's right. Anybody see that? Do it again. 
Yeah, it's, it's those electronic devices. Are they evil? No, they're not evil. It's just how we choose to use them. If they're going to supersede in importance our relationship with God, then they're, they're being used for evil. But these very devices show us how connected we can be with something, how dependent we can be, how reliant we can be on something. Man, we rely, we depend, we connect on our phones all the time. How many of you think that you, you look at your phone at least five times a day? All right, keep your hand up. How many of you think you look at your phone over 10 times a day? Put the other hand up. Yeah, you're praising God. <laughs> but, but listen, we know we have the capability of being attentive to something on a very continuous basis. We do. I mean, we even at times are feeling rings when there are no rings when it's on vibrate, right? You're like, what was that? Well, I guess it wasn't me. But if you and I, just think about this, please, just think. If you and I, and we can, if we would choose to be that attentive, that aware and that reliant on God, how drastically our life would change. Now, I'm going I'm to throw out a challenge to you here, to you at home. I did it in the first service. I'm going to do it again. Every time you look at your phone, for some of you, this is going to be monumental. Every time you look at your phone, before you look, before you answer, before you do that, I know, but I might miss. You know what? The amazing thing about these devices, you can call them back. Okay? Before you engage that phone, take a moment. Take just 10 seconds to engage with God. God, I know you're there. Thank you. Now go to your business. All right? And if you, if you dare, if you're daring, take 15 seconds. Oh, God, thank you. I love you, Lord. And then go to your business. But if you're really crazy, like we're not already, <laughs> if you're really out there, just lay it back down. Take a minute with God. 60 seconds. You can hold your breath for 60 seconds. How about taking 60 seconds with God? Just appreciate him, praise him, thank him. Just acknowledge him. But there's one more thing. If you and I will do this, this is going to revolutionize our life. Because most of us don't. And I said that part of abiding was being still. Being present. Being still. The Bible tells us, be still and know that I am God. The way you and I are going to really know God is being still. But it's one of the things that we least like in our society. As a whole, humanity does not like still and quiet. We become so accustomed to noise. And I will tell you, I'm going to end with this. this. I was around a, a group of people early on in my Christian walk, and there was a lady that just irritated me. Some of you are like, I know. I know that person. <laughs> Just irritated me because she was, she was always saying, you know, God showed me this and God made me aware of this. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is your pastor. <laughs> See what God can do. And, and I was just irritated by the sister. And she was, she was a sweet lady. She was kind of old, kind of small. I'm kind of old. I'm not so small yet. And, and she was just, it just got me. And one day, I don't, I do. I was going to say, I don't know what caused me to do it, but it was my flesh. I went up to the sister and I said, you know what? I don't understand. She said, what don't you understand, darling? 
I don't understand how you hear from God all the time. And she said, well, you know, he just, I've never heard his voice. I said, then why do you tell us that God's shown you this and, and revealed this to you and helping you understand that? She said, well, I have these, these unctions. It's like unctions. I just, I just know that I know it. It lines up with scripture and I walk it out and it seems like God's working things out in my life. And, and she said, you know, you can have that too. I said, you know what? I read my Bible all the time. Now, pride is just, and, and I'm getting frustrated, more and more frustrated. She said, you know, honey, that's good. I said, yeah, it is. And you know what? I pray a lot. She said, that's good too. Do anything else? I said, yeah, I praise God. I praise God a lot too. I said, you do anything else? Is that not enough? She said, well, there, there's one thing that you, you really ought to do as much as those things. <laughs> All right. What is it? You need to be still. What? You need to be still with God. Oh. See, I was so busy doing stuff that I didn't really spend time with God. Because I thought if I do enough stuff, I'll get there. And you don't get there because of the doing. You get there because of the one that is in you. He'll enhance all those things, but you can't do it without him. I can't do it without him. And she said, darling, why don't you go home and, and turn off the radio and put your Bible aside. You can keep it there. Put it aside. And just be quiet with God. Okay. I went home. It was miserable. <laughs> Honestly, it was miserable. Man, I was so uncomfortable. I, I, I just, I did not. You know what happened when I started to get still? All these thoughts of what I needed to do started to fill my head. All these undone things. And then the thoughts, those kind of faded away and the thoughts came in that you've been taken. This old saint has duped you. You are wasting time. Which I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on God. Is that ever wasting time? Who is that from? The enemy. That's exactly right, Kathy. Because he'll lie to you. And it'll sound right, but it's not. And the longer I sat, and the more often I did it, I began to become aware of God. I knew he was there, but I began to be aware. I can't tell you, you know, it wasn't like he showed up and I said, oh, there you are. But I was aware of the presence of God. But it had always been there. I just had been too busy. It had been too noisy for me to be aware of it. And I began to be aware of God's directing and revealing things to me. And I will tell you today, I know when I haven't spent enough time quiet before God, I start to lose fruit. I start to be impatient and unkind and anxious about things and stressed and I know, I know, I know, I know what I need to do. I need to be quiet, but I don't want to be because I want to take care of this. I want to do something, but I know what I have to do. And so right now, close your eyes. You at home, close your eyes. I know you're at home, and I know nobody else is there, but close your eyes. I want you looking at the TV. I'm going to ask you to just be still. Don't look at anything. Don't look around.
Okay, everybody look up. That was 30 seconds. That was not long, and some of you were so uncomfortable. And I will tell you that during that time, God had, had kind of made me aware that there are a lot of people that are uncomfortable with being still, being quiet, not being active, not listening to something, not doing something. It's just very uncomfortable. And I was aware that he was encouraging us that we need to come to the place of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, comfortably. This needs to be a part of our lives. Someone says this way, if you don't come apart with Jesus, remember the disciples would come apart with Jesus and they'd go to a, a secluded, deserted place and they'd have time with him. If you don't come apart with Jesus, you're gonna, your lives are going to come apart. They're going to fall apart. And we need to do this. This is about abiding. God's waiting for you. And the thing we're told to do is wait. Be present with him. And we're going to look at what abiding, what abiding does, how amazing this is. It's... it's Throughout the Bible, we see people that would do this, their lives would be transformed. People that didn't, man, they struggled all their lives. And right now, I'm just going to end. If you just bow your heads, I'm going to invite you. If you have never turned to Jesus and recognized that he is the son of God who came into this world, as a lifeguard to save lives. And he's approached every one of us and is waiting for us to release ourselves to him, to turn our lives away from us running them, to turn them over to him so that God can now rule and reign in your life. Receiving the forgiveness that Jesus purchased when he died on the cross for our sins. And then, recognizing and relying on his lordship in our lives, that he truly would be master. If you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you today. And, and whether you're here with us in person or you're online, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. We're all going to pray together. But if that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me. I today am receiving Christ as my Savior. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came into this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in my place, and paid the price for my sin. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I receive you this day as Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer here today, let somebody know before you leave. If you've prayed online, let us know. Go to our website, reslifeny.org, and go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you give us your name, we'll pray for you by name. And if you give us some contact information, you'll be contacted this week. One last thing, and I know this is out of, out of the routine. If you just close your eyes one more time. You know, we've heard God's word this morning. And it's not just any word, but not everything said here this morning was for you, but something was. And it's imperative, it's essential that you recognize what it was because God is giving you what you need before you know you need it. And so I'm going to ask you just 15 seconds to be quiet and just let Holy Spirit remind you or recognize what it is that he has for you so that you can leave with that today.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your work in our lives. Help us hide this word in our heart that we wouldn't sin against you. We thank you for the rhema word today that is the exact thing we need before we realize we need it. It may be for us, it may be for someone else, but Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us freely and fully everything that pertains to life and godliness. And this week, Father, thank you for your presence and residence in us by your spirit. We want to be led by the spirit of God, not by anything or, or anyone else. We thank you for going ahead of us and preparing the way and being our rear guard. You're always with us, but Father, you're always working, working to bring your plan to pass that's for good with a future and a hope in our lives. So Father, have your way. We want you to truly be master and Lord of our life. Lord, we thank you for the good work that you've begun, that you're faithful to complete. But it's a partnership. Help us, help us to choose you. Choose your word, your way, your life, that we would walk in this new and living way. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.